I don't normally do this. I don't know if we're going to use this or not. But I want to record our brief conversation as I introduce you to this album, specifically its cover art and its title. Okay. This is a little different, but I'm okay with playing with the format. Because we haven't done an album before. Yeah. And And there's something about being introduced to an album for the first time, be it at a friend's house or in a record store. There were things called record stores once. (laughs) And it certainly, this was a big part of my experience of this album. In a... In an internet era, I am so used to hearing a clip of something before I even see it, or seeing a thumbnail of its cover art before I even know of it, that I can understand why the reveal is a part of it, but it's definitely not something I'm used to. That's why I think it's important. Okay. So. What? We're seeing this on a screen in Apple Music, and it's showing the, the cover of this album bigger than, the, uh, than it was in the actual album when I listened to it as a kid. But the, the album is Kansas, Point of No Return. That's the thing. I'm going to say this right off the bat. I could not make out the word Kansas in that title font. For the life of me. You do kind of have to back up and squint and look at it sideways, but it was consistent enough across their albums that uh, if you were a Kansas fan, you learned to read their name. (laughs) Only those chosen know the runes. But check out this this album cover. That is pretty good. It's like continuous with the continuous uh, sea serpent all the way around. Right. And the very, very nice sharp contrast line that they're pulling with the edge of the world going on. So it's a globe, and yet, in the middle of the globe, the sailing ship is falling off the edge. So is the world round, or is it not? And peeking out from the edge of the world there, you see a black sun. Is it, is it guiding something? Is it waiting to swallow something? Is it the black sun that uh, Moonbase Alpha went through in Space 1999? <laughs> it's one, a whale desperately waving its flippers. No, don't, don't turn back. <laughs> For Now that I think about it. Probably around the same time that I was a fan of Space 1999. Oh, okay. And then, in addition to the cover art, check out the title. I know, the fact that it's not no N-O, it's K-N-O-W. Wait, what? Point of no return. But it's no K-N-O-W, like... Knowledge. <laughs> or is it the point from which you return with knowledge? Is it the point beyond which knowledge can help you? Are you getting where a sixth grader who was really into J.R.R. Tolkien and Michael Moorcock was starting to get into philosophy was absolutely obsessed with this record? I'm just thinking it sounds like... A, an odd description of Jeopardy. You you have knowledge and you are returned points for doing so. I feel kind of basic today. Top five side ones. Nirvana smells like teen spirit off of Nevermind. Oh no, Rob, that's not obvious enough. Not at all. How about uh, point of no return on point of no return? 
Hi, everybody, and welcome again to the IMMP podcast for your dose of nostalgia, media criticism, and misuse of parental authority. My name is Matthew Porter. And I'm Ian Porter. I'm his dad, he's my son, and I make him listen to music. Woo! I am going to make a promise to both you and all of the listeners that despite the fact that I have attempted this with theme songs and musical theming and movies and such, I will not attempt to sing anything in this recording today. I am making that a promise to you. I'm not going to do that to this. That is a bold step, and I think we all appreciate it. Not that your (laughs) voice isn't great, but I think it would take us out of the album a bit. Oh, absolutely. So we are talking, for the first time on the podcast, we're talking not about a TV show, not about a movie, not about a book, but about an album. My goodness, that is an intriguing method of media that i i can't tell where it lies because i follow like youtubers and such talking about the music industry and popular songs and such and i'm kind of a radio listener i i always just i always think of myself more as a a shopping radio listener i don't hear the song when it's fresh on the radio i hear when hear it when it's hit the plays in the background in the grocery store kind of second round loop so i'm a little you're so you're a Muzak listener? I guess. It's horrible to say that, but it's kind of like, <laughs> if it's filtered through the pop culture enough to hit there, that's when I hear it. But whether or not we've gone into a singles music environment or an album musical environment is so hotly debated. I've seen discussions of it because the album is a specific way of telling a set of songs as a group in an order. Meanwhile, the single is about a, a one song being the centerpiece. And you bring up a great point, and because this is the first album that we've talked about, I want to get some terminology things straight. I want to correct the vast majority of people out there who don't seem to have it right, or at least the ones that I hear because they drive me crazy. As what is an album? There is an answer, and many people, it seems, don't know that. Because you hear people saying, uh, referring to an album as if an album, it means a vinyl disc in a cardboard sleeve. That is not an album. And these are the people who say, well, ever since CDs came along, the album is done. And I think that these people have this misapprehension because big releases of that format tended to be in like a, a the cardboard sleeve wasn't just a sleeve it would open up for lots of liner notes and lyrics and more art so that it was kind of like an album when you opened it up and i'm pretty sure you know this ian Mm. that's not why record albums are called record albums i don't completely know this which is intriguing to me i am definitely with you as the fact that the terminology is used wrong because i think that if I think that based on what you're about to say here, I might have a way to define the weirdest album potentially possible, but I'd love to hear your description first to see if it fits. Well, as you pointed out, an album is a collection of songs, and it came to be to mean a collection of songs that were released as a unit to be listened to together and in order, but just like a photo album is a collection of photos, an album is a collection of songs. A record is anything that's recorded. And a record can be on vinyl, it can be on a CD, it can be on an Edison cylinder, it can be on a flash drive. If it's recorded, it's a record. An album, and so a single song can be a record. An album is a collection of songs. 
and that doesn't come from the fact that some of these uh, cardboard sleeves of a particular kind of vinyl album happened to open up. It came from the fact that they used to be albums in the same way that photo albums were. And I've got a box of them downstairs. My dad's 78s. Oh. It was about, I believe there were 10-inch records, 78 RPM, one song per record. (laughs) And an album was a book of sleeves made of heavy paper in which you would keep this collection of records. So sometimes people would buy these albums and save their records that they had purchased one by one in these, and sometimes they would be released as a set of records, a set of songs. And the thing that some people think is a record album, that's a long-playing record, an LP. That became, for years and years, the most popular format for the album, because you could fit an entire album on a two-sided vinyl long-playing record, and a big album would be a double album, two vinyl long-playing records with songs on each side. But the album is the collection of songs, not the physical format that it's in. So a set of so a list. There's a set of geolocation tags where you can go and find boxes with individual micro SD cards, each with a single recording on them. Could be construed as an album because it would be a collection telling you that these in this order is a thing. That is weird and frightening and dangerous, and I love it. <laughs> I I really really want someone to release an album in that format. that is great so i i just had to get that off my chest bugs me when people talk about albums having been replaced by the cd no the cd is just another format for an album so there we are and we're talking today about an album an album that meant a great deal to me when i was around sixth grade or so that feels way earlier to me than it should be and I hope that's nice. This is a weird thing to, to, for me to link with that time frame for you. <laughs> it was one of the first albums that I sort of discovered along with my friends on our own, as opposed to just emulating uh, our, our older siblings. And uh, although I know that at least some of my, uh, my siblings were kind of into this record as, as much as I was. But yeah, around that time, I was in sixth grade, this album came out, and if you heard the the big opening of this podcast, you know what album we're talking about. We're talking about The Point of No Return by Kansas. I still can't get over that font. I can't read that even after looking at it enough times. But definitely the, the image on that is really cool, and it fits very well with the songs now that I've heard it. That definitely was a proper introduction, a good, a good poster to this movie, a good... A good way to get into the right mode to listen to this set of songs. And that's one thing that has changed and did change with the CD. Album art used to be such a big deal. It used to be a a larger format. You had this big square in which to create a painting or a photograph. But the ones that really interested me were the paintings to pull you into the world of this album. And the point of no return does that better than any other, I think. I kind of want a coaster of it. It's going to sound weird, but the round shape, I kept on thinking, I want a coaster of this. Do you remember the Castle Cafe in Castle Rock where they have the, that great pan-fried chicken? Oh, I think I do. And there's that giant painting on the back wall. 
with the Indian <laughs> on the horse and the it's all this psychedelic thing. Remember that? Oh yeah. That, and I, I talked about this like an album cover for an album I really want to listen to. I think you even directly called it. This is for an. This is the album. Art for an unreleased album by Kansas. Exactly. My goodness, you're right. Now you understand what I meant. Huh? Oh, I absolutely do. That is... I, I'm also thinking of those, like, paintings that have the little rolling thing in the background so that certain holes cut into it are, like, sparkly effects. The type you'll see in a Chinese buffet every once in a while. There's something about that art style. I'm like, I could see that on a Kansas album. <laughs> I could see them putting little rollers in it and make that work. And it's especially true because in some of their later albums, they got really into Native American imagery. Okay. And that even, uh, it makes that connection even stronger. Oh, that makes sense. So that's the album we're going to be talking about. Not, well, not the album represented by that painting of the Castle Cafe, but the actual Kansas album from 1977. Is yep. it? Yep, 1977. Point of No Return. And as you... A-N-O-W. Yep, K-N-O-W. So... Between that title and that art and these songs, like I say, I was in sixth grade, it would be me and my fellow altar boys in the sacristy after mass talking about the deep cosmic meaning of all of this philosophy we were getting from this record. You keep layering things into this description of the, of past events that I'm not ready for. That location does not match my mindset here. <laughs> Like I said, this this had a big impact. And it also, it's something else about music. Unlike reading a book, and you can read a book and then talk about it with people, but the reading is really a solitary activity. You can watch a TV show and then talk about it with people, but the connection while you're experiencing it is between you and the TV show or between you and the movie. Music becomes a soundtrack for whatever else you're doing. So this album became the soundtrack. It feels to me like it must have been years. It was probably a period of four months or so, where at least once a day for the first month and at least twice a week for the rest of that time period, I would listen to this. And sometimes I'd be there listening to it with my friends and we'd stop after a song and we would talk about it or we would talk the next day. Or I was listening to this and I thought about this cool thing about that third song in the album. It It became more a part of life and a part of interaction with other people than other kinds of media do. It, I definitely can understand in that environment it being a, a social action in that sense. It's a, it's a way to get everyone on a single thought to then discuss. It's a, a conversation primer in that sense. And that's definitely an important thing. Right. And the fact that it's bite-sized and there was a lower barrier to entry for listening to the album, experiencing it, and being able to talk about it versus going away for a week to read a book. Mm-hmm. So yeah, this um this had a big impact. And it wasn't the only album ever to have that kind of impact for me, but it's one of the earliest that I remember discovering with my friends. Hmm. And uh, as I, I mentioned in our opening, the fact that we were all into Tolkien and getting into Dungeons and Dragons and this kind of what to us was this heady philosophy type stuff and Michael Moorcock fantasy novels and such. Uh, that was all part of that scene that we were creating among the the few of us. Oh, it definitely has some of that feel. There is some some definitely classical elements to this in ways that I mean both musically and literary style sense in terms of the things that it made me think of. Even even not tr- starting out from a point going into it thinking that it's like okay, 
I definitely see that clicking very well with this. That the the use of strings across this entire thing threw me. It, I was not prepared for it. That's definitely in the first song, but it's like this has a little bit more more of a Ren Fair variety of musical instruments at times than I expected. It's got the it's got the guitars and it's got the synths, but the use of string, the use of some of the percussion in there was not what I was ready for and definitely took a moment to get used to. And to some extent, that's a hallmark of the kind of music this was. This is that 1970s prog rock, this progressive rock with a little bit of hard rock mixed in, but it was, it was, it was self-consciously artsy and lofty, and it wanted to pull in from any musical traditions that it could, especially ones that would lend a little bit of weight to its elevated uh, uh, intentions. I, I'm trying to avoid using the word pretension because I don't like that word. Usually just means that you're unhappy with someone else's ambition, but it did have, a, this did, did have ambitions and it pulled in those influences from other kinds of music as a way to bolster those and to give a little more support to them. Mm-hmm. And, and it worked. It's part of what made this seem really special to me that this wasn't just, you know, two guitars, bass, and a drum kit. It was more. This was big. Therefore, it must be important, even before you get to the awesome lyrics. I definitely want to continue on that point, but I think I'm going to have to start talking uh, song by song, because I've got an overarching theme to this entire thing, an overarching narrative it seems to fit for me, and I'm not sure whether or not to state that at the beginning or reveal it when we hit what I think is the point where it locked in for me along the songs that's a good question why do you you let us know when we get to the point where you uh you think it really solidified okay sounds good but you're right this uh the album gives us a structure so we should talk through that mm-hmm. that first song the title song that's an opening for you point of no return with a k it's it's more eager than i thought oh eager what do you mean well it, the 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 how long to the point of no return is seems more (laughs) the story it tells in terms of its lyrics is all about going on this journey and setting out and i always took from the way it was saying the sentence that it wasn't the negative you know you know how long do i have before i can turn back but it's a little bit more like why aren't we already there I already want to cross this threshold. How long to the point of no return? It was excited about that point it was going to hit to me. Something about that, but the wasn't you who said kind of energetic aspect to it. And between that and the very, very rapid violin every time to (laughs) punctuate it, it had this, this driving force going on. And that's one of the interesting things about this song. Some of the songs in this album are very narrative, literal They're describing the physical things there in front of you, and they're very upfront about their deep philosophical meanings. This song hides a lot of that. On the surface, the lyrics to this song are about someone who's considering going on 
a dangerous but well-paying ocean voyage, and his family aren't uh, don't want him to go, but he wants to go, and he wants to know how long to the point of no return. And what all of that means is kind of under the surface. It's it's obvious, but it's still under the surface. It's not stated. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, definitely, the, this is, like, you're talking about when things clicked in. You're describing how you were into the the, D, the Dungeons and Dragons and you were getting into the fantasy stuff. The moment they said that uh, Demon's Guard is an ocean grave for all the brave, it's like, okay, no, no, no. This is a tabletop game. This has immediately pulled the <laughs> fantasy in for me. Because the moment you start giving names to places like that, you kind of, I, I kind of follow you down that path to that same conclusion. And something I didn't realize, Demon's Guard is capitalized, as if that is the name of the point, as opposed to this is the point, and it is the point which is guarded by demons. No, it's the point, Demon's Guard, like that's what they call it on the maps. I didn't realize that, but that somehow makes it more awesome <laughs> to me. He's not just speculating about Demon's Guarding this place, it's, well, no, that's the place it is, and we tend not to go past that if we can help it. You go this way, you take a left at Demon's God, and then you just keep on going until you see this <laughs> on your right. It's like, <laughs> but don't go this time of day, the traffic will kill you. <laughs> so it was a great intro to the album. Track one, side one being that the, uh, the title track is not always the case, but it works for this. Mm-hmm. And it pulls you into this spooky, interesting fantasy world that this album describes and inhabits Mm -hmm. and then and then the second track is really kind of i think the point at which we hear the inside of our protagonist's mindset there's something about the second song which is very greek chorus describing what our hero is thinking Oh, so this is the song Paradox. Yes, Paradox. And you're saying that this relates to the point of no return because it's the perspective of the narrator of point of no return? I thought that's how it it struck me at the beginning because the point of no return is setting up this journey out. Paradox then sets up this concept of like there must be more to see and learn, which when I put it together explains the no in no return better it becomes a a quest and then it's a quest for knowledge past a certain point and that started to build the first layer of my my thought as to what this story seemed to be to me i like that you've pulled this album together into a single coherent narrative far more than i ever did to me it was this set of vignettes from a strange and interesting world suggesting a world that was even bigger and I never really connected the dots into a single story in the way that you have. And that's really interesting. We're halfway to the point where it clicked for me. Okay, so we know how far. Exactly, to the point of no return. Musically, Paradox is not one of the the most interesting songs. It's kind of fast, hard rock with prog elements. The synth just made me think Castlevania. <laughs> Yes. My goodness. Paradox is a Castlevania song that your friend starts ranting over very energetically. It's really fun, but I'm so used to video game music as one of those early distinct tones I heard. And there's a lot of video game music that was actually just attempting to use a very limited musical instrument to mimic 
this sort of music that they loved already. But the fact that apparently, I don't know if this is because the people who made Castlevania were Kansas fans, or because a synth set to this will sound like that to me no matter what, but I was seeing pixels at that point early, and I'm like, okay, where's the Belmonts? I would say that the people who uh, did the soundtrack for Castlevania probably are, are prog rock fans in general. Yeah. Whether it's specifically Kansas, I don't know, but I can definitely see the influence of that style in that uh, that video game soundtrack. And, you know, scanning over the lyrics again now, I see what you mean about the connection between this and Point of No Return, in that the lyrics are pretty straightforward. They're about a guy who knows there's a lot of... And it's pulled from the point, from the point of view of... A guy who knows there's a lot of stuff he doesn't know. He's really eager to learn what he doesn't know because there's nothing more cool about learning new stuff. I can get behind that. Probably. Oh, yeah. So, uh, so yeah, that's, that, that sounds like, A, a guy who would have interested me in sixth grade, and B, the kind of guy who would go on a journey to the point of Kano return. <laughs> we have to pronounce the K. Now, the third track is the one without any lyrics, if I remember correctly. Uh, Spider? That's right. That's an instrumental. Yeah. Again, a fixture of prog rock would be one or two mighty instrumental tracks on an album. The Spider, yeah, starts still Castlevania for me, but it does turn into a Final Fantasy battle song somewhere around the middle when the strings come back in. Okay, so that's like the soundtrack to the 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 adventure montage that comes along the way of this journey. Exactly. That's exactly what this felt like to me, because this one had a little bit... <laughs> There's something about some of this bit where it's a little bit segmented. Uh, I'm a fan. Uh, we're both fans of They Might Be Giants. But I remind, I'm reminded of the fact that on the album, Fingertips is a bunch of individual things. But when they play it in a session on a, on a stage, it's one song with all of those spliced together. Yeah. And there was something about some of these bits where it's like you have a pile of good hooks spliced into a song to create this montage effect musically. And it falls at that point, you're, you're not totally deep into the album, mm-hmm. you're just getting your sea legs on this voyage to the point of no return, Cano. and now you've got this, uh, this instrumental that sort of points the way a little bit deeper. Mm-hmm. And leads right into, honestly, one of my favorite songs of this album. When I, this is one I went back and listened to a couple of times. Yeah, this song is the first of the one-two punch of the two what I thought were the best songs on the album. Okay. Portrait. Yes. Col- uh, parentheses, he knew. Okay, that one's an interesting story. And this is one of those where I meant everything is on the surface in that they're telling you this story, they're describing this person, they're telling you all the interesting things about this person. It implies that there is more, but not because there's a lot left unsaid. And this is where I definitely feel the Greek chorus comes back, because it's told from this perspective, uh, narratively, of, you know, discussing this person in past tense, and hearing about their interactions with people a little bit more present tense, but then it leads into the fact that this person is gone, and the information they had went with them. And that right there put this disconnect between who's singing and who we're following which I felt kept going for the entire thing. This feels like a a narrated story in that sense right. when I put these all together. But this is where it clicked for me. Portrait. With the lead up of the starting an adventure and the reason for why and the montage of it 
only to lead to a man who has information and knowledge, but becomes lost to everyone else, this became an Orphic story to me. Oh. This became a journey into the underworld story. A person ventures out to obtain something at the cost of other things. And it's kind of the 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 folly of of that adventure in some way. Not negative against the hunt, but the folly of how this one went, or the, the tragedy of how this one continued. So are you suggesting that the person described in the song Portrait is a flash forward to what becomes of our sea voyager setting out on the Voyage to the Point of No Return? That's how I started to hear it. That's how I started to listen to it. Oh, I like it. It turns into this person who was already in Paradox saying they knew so much and wanted to know more, getting the last piece that clicked everything together, but dying and leaving before they could pass that on. The last bit that they obtained during the Spider montage never comes to fruition because they can't communicate them that back after they get after they return if in some form or they return not the same with that information and can't relate it anymore you can tell by the picture he drew it was totally something new uh and he, he knew but before he could tell us he died when they heard that the people cried there was this you know important figure this adventuring hero kind of figure who couldn't communicate something. Oh, I like it. Now, I would see it, thinking of it now as a long narrative, I would see it more as this is something that our explorer heard about on his travels, and it's frustrating and tantalizing. He's out looking for this knowledge. There's somebody who apparently had it, but he died and he never passed it along. Hmm. So it suggests that that knowledge is possible without really, you, without really getting you any closer to it. I could definitely see that. That definitely changes which character it's talking about. But either one works in this form of narrative. It does. In fact, actually, your version might fix one of the things I was worried about when I looked at it as a narrative, which is I felt some of the songs weren't in the right order. There's a, la- there's a later song I wanted to be earlier, and I'll point that out when I get to it. Okay. But narratively, yours doesn't mean it has to come as early as I was worried. All right. Yeah, I'm interested to hear that. Okay. And when I first heard this album, I loved this song. It was just the description of some cool, super knowledgeable, powerful wizard who died and p- didn't and took his secrets with him. I didn't analyze it that deeply at the time. I just really, really got into it. Oh, I, I, I have a notebook for a, a story se- uh, setup I was working on between me and some friends. And literally, I have rewritten a character now because I wanted to incorporate some of the way this per- this is describing someone. I rewrote part of a character because this is a very evocative song. It's got a hook to it, not in terms of musical, but just in terms of thought process. And there's something that I read about this song later, years after I really was into this record. Uh Uh-huh. Which does not improve the song to me. Oh. Because apparently the writer of this song meant this to be about Albert Einstein. And I can tell from your expression that that doesn't make necessarily more sense to you than it ever did to me. Albert Einstein was, not, was, was a brilliant, brilliant person, moved human knowledge and understanding forward tremendously, but his great strength was that he was not otherworldly and impossible to understand, and someone who took his secrets with him to the grave. His strength was the fact that 
he explained really, really important, really, really complicated things in a way that made other physicists look at them and said, oh man, he's right. Now that I see it, it's it's obvious. And we've got experiments for the last, is it 100 years now, maybe, that back up all the stuff that he wrote about at his, at his at height. So writing this song about someone who is impossible to understand and had all this mystical knowledge that no one could grasp and who therefore took his secrets to the grave, that suggests to me this is written by somebody who didn't really understand anything about Einstein. Not that I understand much about Einstein, but enough to know he was not a mystical wizard that no one could understand. I loved mystical wizards no one could understand. (laughs) In sixth grade, I probably aspired to be a mystical wizard that no one could understand, but I don't think that was Einstein. No, you tell me you only tell me the songs about Leonardo da Vinci. You've at least got a little bit more something with some of his unfinished sketches and such. And but uh, Albert Einstein, no. Yeah, I mean, of all the the historical figures, this could be about William Blake. I'm reading a book about William Blake right now. This would be much better as a song about William Blake than a, as a song about Albert Einstein. Yeah. Oh my goodness, that. That really does kind of turn this entire thing into, oh. I hope that doesn't ruin it. No, no, no. You can still, I still believe this is about a mystical wizard. Oh, yeah. This is about a mystical wizard who might also happen to be named Albert Einstein, but is that definitely not the one you know about if it's going to be written about him? There's multiple people with that name, I bet. We can go with that, right? Absolutely. <laughs> and it's about William Blake. Yes. And that leads us to the next half of this one-two punch. Closet Chronicles. This was probably the centerpiece of this album to me. This was, I wanted this story, but more of it forever. Really? This is the one that almost broke me. Oh, yeah? This is the one that started to make me kind of chuckle, because there's some bits of this that are just a little too cheesy for me. Just the line, the king is in the closet, he's hiding from the day, is really cool and emotional, but also just reminded me of, like, Pajama Sam, you know, Us Entertainment Adventures for some reason. This has a bit of a weird note. I do love the fact that it has a very fun pivot, where it goes from feeling all of the rest of the songs earlier were having this, you know, Dungeons and Dragons... Ren fairy theme and feel, but the moment they kind of switch tones and put that harder edge on there and staring out the window from the 42nd floor, it's like, whoa, okay, we're in the modern day. Okay, what? You just layered time periods over each other. Or we're in some long ago semi techno magical world in which there were mystical wizards and kings on the 42nd floor. See, this is one of those songs where my friends and I would pour over this line by line, figuring out not necessarily what it quote-unquote really meant, but what's the coolest way we can read this line and listen to it? What would be the coolest thing this could mean? And it is filled with lines like that. The king is in the closet. He's hiding from today. Well, it's today wherever he is, but he's still hiding from it. (laughs) And his world is filled with darkness Turning gray. Does that mean the line between light and darkness is blurring? Does it mean that in spite of his efforts to escape from the world, aging is still occurring because time cannot be escaped from? Like I said, we got really into this song line by line. 
I'm gonna throw one of the lines back at you then. Oh yeah? The silliest line in the entire album. I'm sure we talked about it. Daydreams filled his night times and night dreams filled his day. Oh, the total inversion. Yes. I just yell what at my radio every time. That sentence, like, bugs me. It it kicks me out of the song every time as I just round on the on the on the speaker and say, That's not how this works. You're being very flowery, and it's kind of cool, but why? What? No, what? Hey. That was just more of the awesomeness back then. (laughs) I mean, you could just say that this is somebody who has disturbed sleep patterns, but daydreams, night dreams. Night dreams is not a phrase you hear often. There's dreams and there's daydreams, but it's night dreams filled his days. I mean... Oh, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to figure something right there then. We, I didn't look at the lyrics written out very clearly, but are we sure they're not pulling a the title of the album and it's not K'Night? <laughs> no, but that would have been awesome. Okay, that would give me something. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, that, that line was just another awesome line. It does have a very long bridge in the middle. It does, and this is probably more than any song on this album. It highlights and showcases something that was very important in some other Kansas albums and prog rock in general, which was these big songs broken up into discrete movements with different um, uh, musical themes and different paces and tones that nevertheless came together as a single larger work. And it was that kind of classical aspiration that they had. So yeah, right here in this long bridge, this might be our best chance to talk about the music itself. We're talking a lot about the lyrics and a lot about the story of it, but the music itself is very interesting because I can definitely hear each distinct band member playing compared to some other things. There is much more of a, an almost, I, I, I do not listen to as much of this as you, so maybe I'm getting this wrong, but there's kind of a jazz pack, passing it back and forth of this thing this main core that is being brought to the forefront on this group and then brought to the forefront on this group of instruments and then returned back and then they move on from it. Those phases you have definitely have segments for different sets of the band playing. And I like that part. That is true, right? The different movements because they had different tone qualities and they had different emotional content. They did highlight different instruments and, and yet they did have their, musical themes that were developed by different instruments and and passed around in that way. The fact that they break it up that way does make it very easy to listen to as a cohesive album, though, because a lot of the songs end on a rhythm or a speed that's very similar to the next song I was noticing. Oh, so you're there saying... Was, there was a lot of stuff in, uh, in Paradox that ended at a similar pace to, to Spider in order to keep it going in that sense. Okay, so not just the uh, a long piece like um, Closet Chronicle being divided into movements, but every track on this album being, you can think of as a movement within this larger meta piece of the album. Mm-hmm. And it's part of the reason why Closet Chronicle felt a bit more jagged to me is because it is actually pulling much more of a tempo change across those movements within it to prep for the later bits of the of the songs the later songs have a different pace to them because they've got a different feel to them and i feel like closet chronicle which does get very sad 
Oh, it does. It is. It, 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 Closet Chronicle is the start of the fact that this album is getting sad on you. Right. I mean, it doesn't start out cheerful, but no. it gets even sadder. The the song, I mean, Closet Chronicle. And uh, yeah, things don't... He guy starts out hiding in a closet, and things don't, go, don't get better from there. He dies. But there's this neat... We do get a little bit of his story in the middle of how he was a mighty ruler and leader and had fortunes and people at his command who hung on his every word, and yet he withdrew from that to explore deep inside his mind. And in at sixth grade, I didn't know anything about drugs. Uh, I now, not having experienced any hallucinogens, I nevertheless think, yeah, there's a little bit of that in this story. Yeah, probably. Uh, this is this definitely has, you know, bad trip I guess written yeah. on it. And I I can't even tell myself but there, but it's a this is this guy definitely did not do this unassisted. Yeah, he he withdrew from the world. No one knew what he would find on the day he journeyed deep inside his mind. Yeah, the fact that the fact that the entire like business and industry he set up apparently doesn't notice when he disappears is one of the most tragic moments. Yep, it's like oh, and you you mentioned you were too good at your job here to make it this efficient. Yep, and you mentioned business and industry. I have read that one of the inspirations for this story was Howard Hughes. Oh, and that that makes sense. Again, it was about some king in a fantasy world with fortunes and wizards at his command. uh, When I was listening to it as a kid. But at the sa- and I still think of it that way. But at the same time, I can see where, yeah, the Howard Hughes saga is. Um, yeah, I can understand how that fits in with this. Yeah, that 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 fits pretty well actually with this with this sort of tale of of powerful falling, right? Or fading more so than falling. So those those two songs together, Portrait and Closet Chronicle are the core of this album to me. That That is what made this album worth listening to so many times and talking about so much. And it's still got some other good things in it, but nothing else in the album reaches those heights for me. I can understand that. Those, de- those definitely have a lot to them. They are, they are dense, chewy songs in that sense. So if you were breaking them down that way with this group of friends... I can see those being fertile discussion grounds. Because that then gives way to the next song in the album, The Lightning's Hand. Oh, goodness. The Lightning's Hand. I wish Lightning's Hand actually came before Closet Chronicle. Yeah. Part of, I think, the reason it can't is because Closet Chronicle, followed by the rest of the album, would actually be too sad. You need Lightning's Hand being energetic beforehand. <laughs> that's a that's a good point. Pacing-wise, it does bring things up again. It gets a little brighter. It's faster. It's just not that interesting, either musically or lyrically. I enjoyed it musically a lot, actually. Yeah? It it had some of that same sort of build-up and... And punch, and I didn't like it the first time I listened to it, actually. I didn't like it as much. I think my notes here, let me pull them. Okay, yeah, my, 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 my notes here say that it didn't feel fast enough, and it didn't feel building enough for me. But when I listened to it again, actually with headphones, even more so, it really came through for me. That is key. A lot of prog rock, very headphone friendly, very, very headphone conducive. You get... You want to be surrounded by this experience. There's a lot of interesting stereo separation. 
Uh, so it's, it's, that is interesting that you discovered that fact about this kind of music. But I wish it came before Closet Chronicle because narratively, if we look at it as this, you know, quest for power kind of story, then you need to give him the power effect before the empire he builds with it crumbles around him. But you need him to, like, be showing off that he's strong before it goes wrong. Oh, why'd that rhyme? But the fact that you don't want to put everything else right after, you don't want to make it that sad. I understand where it is. I also I really enjoyed the song, though, but I'd like to enjoy a song, and then I really don't like the name of it. And I don't like its main line. I command oh. the lightning's hand. Well, yes, but the way they try to emphasize it, it turns into Waluigi for me. I command <laughs> the lightning's hand. There's an, <laughs> like, you go E, you go I. You can get that kind of punch for a vowel sound, but A doesn't work well for that kind of drop sound effect. You need something more. I want them to use different line there. I want to change the name of this. And that bugged me because I tried to sing along in the car and it failed. It failed hard for me. This is also why I've been wanting to dr- uh, to play Mario Kart recently. Because thinking <laughs> about this, it's making me think of all these Mario and Luigi characters throwing lightning things. And I'm like, oh, hey. I command the lightning hand. And Luigi, <laughs> I command the lightning hand. Now, for me, this story, it's a little bit too plainly stated, a little bit too obvious. It is, and I'd say both musically and lyrically. Musically, it's a straightforward melody hit hard in a rock style, very repetitive, and lyrically, it's maybe the most fantasy Dungeons & Dragons song on the whole album. It's, I am super powerful, I protect people I want to protect, and I destroy everybody else. I am the super powerful battle mage. I mean, it's the cosmic, it's not the cosmic wizard, but the fighting wizard. Yeah. And it's just- I make old men scared. Yeah, if reading this now or listen and listening to this now, I'm thinking this is like if Dudley Dursley had gotten to go to Hogwarts. <laughs> this is about <laughs> where his understanding and interest in magic would have begun and ended. Well, I'm, yeah, I, I I get what you're saying, especially early early books, Dur- Dudley. Yeah, not the not the the Dudley who got his moment of of awakening and recognition later in the books. I this is the fact that at the very end the. The line of, you know, I command is hammered so much, actually, makes it a good fall into madness in that sense to me. It becomes a an overwhelmed by the power you're bragging about because they start hammering how frequently he says that title line so much by the end. The first time he's able to be a little bit more, he doesn't even say it the first time it would lead into doing so. He continues on with more with more lines. By the end, he's just repeating that sentence. It has that growing madness element that I think would have worked well earlier to give a, a a man gaining power to the point of his own detriment kind of aspect to it. Yeah, that would have fit into that narrative better. I don't know that it would have made it a more interesting song to me, but uh, but it would have fit in with the others a little better, maybe. Yeah, so I want to like change the fu- change that line so that it doesn't have that ass eh sound to me, right? And then put it a little earlier. Maybe before Closet Chronicles, 
probably not before Portrait, but I could have seen it there. But instead, where it is in the album, it leads into Dust in the Wind. Oh my goodness. Now, to me, this is the song that almost ruined the entire album for me, even way back then in 1977, because for me and my friends, this committed the horrible, horrible sin of being really popular. <laughs> and we, were, we, we saw this album as our thing that we discovered, never mind the fact that it sold millions of copies. This thing that we had discovered, and it was this story that spoke to us about this cosmic world and space wizards and all this stuff. And then there's this thing that is played on the radio over and over. And it's this slow, sad, acoustic song that even to us at the time just seemed boringly superficial in its attempt to be deep and meaningful. Oh my goodness. I, I, I'm sorry, Dad. You're coming to the terms of the fact that this podcast is all just a slow way to reveal to you. You're more of a hipster than you might think at first. <laughs> can't like that because it's popular. I mean, oh. it's, hipsters did not invent the idea of it can't be cool because it's popular. No, 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 they didn't. But they'll insist that they were doing it before it was cool to do so. Right. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I can definitely understand. I mean, this is... Oh, my goodness. This is the song where it's just, you know hammering in how sad it is there is no no respite from the oh it, this is eeyore just concentrate right and i'm overstating the idea that it's bad because it's popular it was just that it was the least interesting song on the album why is this the one that is so popular i mean the idea i even in sixth grade the idea that gosh, maybe life is meaningless and the whole idea of, of we come from dust and we return to dust is true. Here, Okay, once you've said that, why do you have to keep saying it for this many verses over a pretty good but awfully repetitive guitar line? <laughs> Here at Kansas, we like to end our days with a nice, warm cup of nihilism. Keep <laughs> having a cup until you don't taste it anymore. <laughs> All we are is dust in the wind. Oh, okay, got that. You, oh, you're still saying it. Thank you. Okay, well, we'll still we're we're still dust. Oh, everything is dust in the wind. Okay, thank you. The, We've the, got that. The, this and the two songs after it is a little block. I'd like to call Kansas. Kansas, are you okay in there? You haven't come out of your room for a little while. We're starting to get worried. <laughs> <laughs> Knock twice if you need anything. Exactly. Because the next one's upbeat, but upbeat in a weird, kind of wrong way. Sparks of the Tempest is the It's Too Late to Protest song. Yeah, that's kind of the, uh, let's get ready for the post-apocalypse. The, the king has died back in uh, Closet Chronicles, and we've come to terms with everything being bad. So we're going to like just point out to you that this is all your own fault to yourself, and that you're not putting in the effort to fix it. Ooh. And at least Sparks of the Tempest, I remember that as giving me a feeling of if um, the lightning hand was just some guy bragging about how cool and powerful he is, and there's only so much interest you can find in that. 
Sparks of the Tempest was more about, hey guys, the world's about to get interesting with a capital I. Yeah, there is something about some of it, you know, you know, you you can't tell the difference as you put on the yoke kind of stuff that feels sarcastic. Right, it's like daring you all to become uh, anarchists. Yeah, and I am, I am all for a, a self-actualization to combat uh, pessimism kind of mentality. I am, I am a very much champion of the usefulness psychologically of optimism. But there is something about how this one is is sarcastic in attempting to get to its optimism that just felt weird. It didn't quite click. There was something a little off about this. And I think that's what they were going for. It had that kind of dissonant feel, but that kind of worms its way into your head when you're listening. Yeah, there was the sense that this narrator was thinking, I'm going to tell you all about this stuff that is clearly true, and you're still not going to get it because you're not as smart as me. This is like a dope slap in a song in a weird way. <laughs> but uh, it it is a pickup after Dust in the Wind. It's like, <laughs> okay, we're all dust in the wind, nothing matters. Meanwhile, you're in this world, what are we going to do about it? Now that you're sad, get angry for a moment. <laughs> <laughs> well, anger is a, an antidote to sadness. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. It's, it's something else. It, yep. It's egging you on. And then it doesn't succeed, because you go back into sad. Yeah, you go from uh, Sparks of the Tempest to Nobody's Home. Which is actually, I think, sm sadder than Dust in the Wind. At least Dust in the Wind is recognizing a truth about the universe and coming to terms with it. If you look at this as that Orphic narrative I was talking about, this is a bad end. Because yes. it's an Orphic narrative where not only does he go out and get knowledge... And obtain it, and when he brags about having gotten the power and knowledge is a little bit weirdly placed, lightning hand. No, move over. Uh, he gains power, and then collapses because of what he's learned and that same power he obtained, and kind of drags everyone else down with him, from the sound <laughs> of it. Right. Because then the last ones are, everyone's sad, everyone's fighting each other, and now there's nobody. Everyone's gone, everyone's dead. And there wasn't even anybody to uh, sing a requiem. A weird question. Could that turn this entire thing into kind of a, a narrative of a Manhattan project? Sure. The development of nuclear weaponry kind of, you know, look at this. We create something so strong. It actually just leads us to realizing we're all dead. I am become death destroyer of worlds and I command the lightning hand. And, exactly. Nobody quoted Oppenheimer saying that. <laughs> it's the fact that one of the other people next to Oppenheimer pulled out a violin to punctuate each line he said <laughs> was the difference. But Nobody's home is just, it's a walking simulator in song form. And I like walking simulators, but this is one of the sad ones. It's got this, it's got this steady walking rhythm to it. And it's just kind of sad and contemplative. You're right. What was that game you were playing with the family secrets? And oh, the... What Remains of Edith Finch. Yes. Yeah. Oh, goodness. It is kind of What Remains of Edith Finch, the song. Yep. Oh, boy. And all that that implies. Yeah. I mean, it's a good, good song. Well made musically, but better be in the mood for it. Or if you are in the mood for that song, please talk to somebody. Yeah. This is a song to be listened to with friends because that means there's friends to discuss it afterwards instead of, instead of just sitting and dwelling on it. And that brings us then to Hopelessly Human. And I've got the best description for this. Yeah? Welcome to the song equivalent of Puck's finale to, the mid to A Midsummer Night's Dream. 
Yes, yes. If these I get shadows that. have offended, think but this and all is mended. But it's instead, if this album made you sad, listen to something else and then be glad. It's kind of, or think about it differently and then be glad. There is, the entire thing is the same chorus characters I've been describing, I guess, stepping back and saying, well, now that we've said this play, don't let it get you down. And I appreciated that it needed this. Now, thanks to your description of this song, uh, this album as one long narrative. I'm thinking about this song differently. Oh. Maybe this is another ending. Maybe this is the good ending. Okay. This is the ending in which our voyager, our pilgrim who set out in search of unknown knowledge and who went through all of these strange experiences and tragedies and gained power and gave up power and dove inside his mind and commanded the lightning hand and all this stuff. In the end, he realized understanding and dwelling in your own humanity is the cosmic knowledge that you sought. Hmm. Being hopelessly human is a triumph. It's kind of the optimistic turn at the end. The, that puts it as the stages of, uh, of grief. Yeah, you don't need to be more than human, but sometimes it takes a while to understand and figure that out. Huh. That definitely fits. Yeah, and it would not have occurred to me until I started thinking about the whole thing as one structure the way you described. It's a song that has some nice elements in terms of how it ties everything else together because it's got a little bit of musical styling that I heard elsewhere. It's got some of the the rhythm and the such and such that we heard in Nobody's Home and in Dust in the Wind. It's got a little bit of the strings back from the very beginning of the songs with yeah. uh, with those string accents in point of no return and it's got a little bit of the synth that we had in the middle there that little bit trumpety synth at times it really does become cohesively finale to this thing by putting together the the musical themes we've heard throughout and because of all these these things it does make a very good close to the album mm-hmm. it, it's a it's better than ending on dust in the wind or nobody's home oh my goodness uh, and it, it stands pretty strongly as an end of the album i I never thought of this as one of my favorite songs on the album, but I see that it it does its it does its job very well, and it's not a bad song. And I'm I'm actually very happy that this is our album. This is our podcast for towards the end of the year here because it does end with some nice Christmas bells kind of effect. That is true. I loved that. I that that was very nice and thematic for when this is being released. And this will drop uh, in between Christmas and New Year's. Okay. So I yeah. hope everybody has, has had wonderful holidays and continues to do so and has uh, a wonderful New Year. So, now that we've been through this, uh, this album, we have uh, taken this journey. Any general observations about this? I th- feel like we discussed a lot of this over the course of it, but definitely hearing it as individual songs, as I was able to like do things like... After we listened to the album the first time, I went back and listened to it on Spotify and such, yeah. and I was able to shuffle the entire album. I was able to reorganize songs, which is where I got that idea of wanting to move things around. And I got to listen to it a little bit more like I'd encounter it nowadays. And it wasn't as impactful as I expected. The mm. fact that it was an album, that it did immediately click for me as this cohesive thing, meant a lot in how I listened to it. Because when they were individual songs, they were really well-made songs. But the ability to carry a concept through was great. And I, I appreciated the, what I heard of some of those instruments and some of those musicians 
in different bits, hearing the same person playing something and being good to be able to play it like this in that thing and this in that thing was impressive. The main guitar lines in Point of No Return and in something like the bridge to uh, Closet Chronicles are very different. And they are both very much a skillful thing that I can tell is the same person, though. And I appreciate that a lot. So being able to reassess this album, I liked the first time I listened to it a little bit better. It became retroactively more exciting every time I re-listened to the album. I went back to that first time you showed it to me. Well, that's cool. I'm glad that uh, that you enjoyed that, because what I tried to do there is is to replicate the way I would approach an album, and I think most of the, the folks that I, I knew at the time would approach an album at the time, because, you know, you would get a copy of an album, and that would be a significant event and a significant investment if you're a kid, and then we, we would sit down in front of the stereo and listen to the album, side one, track one, through side two, last track, usually, if possible, while looking at the album cover and examining the art, if the jacket had lyrics, we'd be reading the lyrics along with the album, just immersing ourselves in this, at least for those first couple of listens before it became background soundtrack to our lives for a while. And that's what I tried to replicate by showing this to you. Uh, we didn't have an, al- uh, uh, an album cover, but we did have the album art and the lyrics up on the screen, thanks to Apple Music. And um, and I'm glad that you kind of came back to that and saw that, that at least that sequence, if not that whole sensory experience, was part of the album for you. For a lot of the other stuff we watch, TV and movies and such, music is an element to how they build their world. And in an album, there is more to the art of the visuals and to the, the writing that can be looked at as a way to supplement the music. Sometimes music gets put off to the side as a piece to the big thing that you actually are making. But when you look at it as an album, you can see the other things being there as pieces to support the music you're listening to. And that was a fun way to approach an album as a a thing on that, that same level that it sometimes doesn't get appreciated as. Well, I don't think this is the, the last album that we are going to uh, talk about on the podcast. There were certainly plenty of others. That meant a lot to me over the years. Uh, I'm glad we started with this one, though, because it did have such a weird and important place in my life at that time. But this being our first album, I think we are heading towards our uh, our final questions about it. Yeah. I mean, this is going to be interesting. It's the first time we've approached this, this medium with it. But what, what's our first question, then? Well, our first question, given that this is a record album, I would say it's a spin or no spin. Are you recommending people go find this and listen to it? Absolutely. I think this was a fun thing. I like this sort of music in general. And this was a good one. It, I mean, have something chipper to listen to afterwards. You know, have <laughs> a... I, I, I interspersed listening to this album with doses of anime rom-com. Kind of the anti-Kansas album, I guess. In I a think weird you're way. right. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. So you, you might want that antidote on hand. Just to deal with the fact that you'll get, get sad by the end of it, but it's good. Yeah, I, I agree. I would say spin this one, listen to this. I really didn't know how this was going to go. It's a long time since I really listened to this. This is not one of those albums that I listen to 
every few months. I think it's been years since I listened to it, and maybe longer since I really thought about it. But now that I've done both on these this past couple of weeks, yeah, go ahead and listen to this. I know I'm going to listen to it again soon, and it is it is of its time, and it's still a lot of fun, or interesting at least. Mm-hmm. And that, that leads us to our other question, which I guess for this version would be re-record, remix, or rest in peace? I guess so. You're right. So I mean, I... Do we want to hear this same band give a new, give an updated version to this, a, a, a fresh mix so we can hear it from them again? Or maybe that also means we want to hear more from this artist playing more if there is... If there's, an, if there's a band that is still going or we want to go look for their other albums, is this a set of songs? Interesting enough, we want to hear someone else to tackle them from a lyrical narrative standpoint or a musical thematic standpoint or both. Or is this something that is on its own and will be left as such for good or for bad? Well, I don't think Kansas is still operating, at least not with their original lineup. They are touring, so, though. They are. Because I know that the moment I searched this for this, I got spammed with so many Google ads about the fact that they were coming to our city sometime in the beginning of 2020, and I was very uncertain what to do about this information it handed me. And I honestly don't know if both Steve Walsh and Terry Livgren, who were their primary songwriters, are still part of the, uh, the band. Steve Walsh, I think, was the main uh, singer as well. I don't know if they're still touring as Kansas. I don't know. If they are, do you want to see them re-record this? I would be interested to hear a new version from them of that. I, I think that there are some of these songs where a fresh recording from them could be quite interesting. I, I know that on the version we've got digitally here, there is a live version of one of the songs and a remix of one of the others, which is part of the reason why I thought those would be good category versions for us, because it does approach both attempts. And I did listen to the live version. I believe it's of... It is of Sparks of the Tempest. And that... The live version of Sparks of the Tempest they have there is a little bit quicker because it's a live version and it's a little bit more intense. It actually kind of plays that theme a little better, I feel. Because it also means their bridge is much longer because they're wanting to have, you know, cheering of the crowds and show that they can get that going a little more. But... It's it's definitely got a little bit more punch because they sped it up that tiny bit for a live recording. Yeah, it does rev up that energy, make it a little more intense, a little more scary. Yeah, it becomes a little bit more prop. That's that's actually where I got the phrase the "It's too late to protest" song <laughs> because that little bit of speed turns it into that anthem feel. Right, the sense of momentum. Mm-hmm. Right. And then they've got a remix of "Lightning Hand," and I didn't quite like that remix, but. I'd definitely be interested in hearing some of these songs remixed or redone by other artists. I could hear some other artists do a really cool version of Portrait. I could hear an artist or two do a really good version of uh, the Point of No Return title track. Yeah, that would be most interesting to me. The um, the re-recordings and remixes, it might be interesting, but another artist covering a song can find things in it that the original writers and performers didn't necessarily pull out of it. So I would be interested to hear some other artists cover some of these songs. I don't need to hear somebody else cover Dust in the Wind. <laughs> You're not looking for someone to, you know, have Hatsune Miku sing Dust in the Wind? 
<laughs> Probably not. I don't know. I mean, we're just describing, you know, anime rom-com being the anti-Kansas. What happens if you put those together? Is this a is this an instant energy conversion explosion, like matter and antimatter? I've heard some Hatsune Miku songs that were not that different from Sparks of the Tempest when you get down to it. Yeah, good point. So, uh, yeah, I'd say that of all those possibilities, I think I'd I like to hear somebody else's cover of some of these songs. Yeah. I do have some other questions, though. Okay. Especially since you have approached or, or understood this album to be a narrative, which can be rearranged in certain ways, but it holds together as a narrative. Would you be interested in this album being adapted to another medium? Oh, that's interesting. Seeing it as a, uh, I guess, rock opera e direct interpretation adaptation could thing, be or? a rock opera could be a, a an epic fantasy novel or series of novels or movie that pulls you into this narrative more explicitly i could absolutely enjoy seeing that i would love to see select bits of these songs used to help enhance a theming in a different narrative don't give me just the narrative of this, but let the narrative of this in bits of playing that song at different points in like a film mirror our character's progression and turn this album into a bit of a, a theme for them as they go across a story. All right, then how about our, our other traditional question of Revive? Would oh. you be interested in a sequel to the narrative of this album. Music can have sequels. Sequels. I just uh, finished reading this the amazing book, uh, Strange Stars, about um, 70s pop music and sci-fi music. And it spoke a lot about David Bowie's Ashes to Ashes being a sequel to Space Odd Oddity, Major Tom. Could you see a sequel to the album, Point of No Return? Absolutely. You'd have to give me a protagonist out of Hopelessly Human, possibly a different protagonist who is backtracking the the rise and fall of the character of this and learning from their mistakes. But I could definitely hear that as a new album. I like that kind idea. Of, give, give us a a footsteps to and and learn what is and learn how to control what took someone else down kind of thing. I could go with that. I yeah. like that idea. I can, I can hear that. Yeah, so I think we've answered our questions. We would definitely recommend people spin this record. And we, um, yeah, we'd be interested in hearing some covers of these songs. Maybe some, uh, some new developments from this, uh, the narrative that this album is. The response song is a very different thing than it used to be, but it's definitely still something out there. Yep. You know, record something new that is, to is talking back to something in a song, either an agreement, elaboration, or contradiction. Right. Definitely right. is an aspect to think of. Well, this has been, has been fun. Like I say, I'm sure this isn't the last album we're going to talk about. After the last five minutes, I don't think this is the last Kansas album we're going to talk about. Ooh. So there might be some more Kansas in your future. I might eventually be able to just recognize those, those runes as the name of a band <laughs> when I take a glance at it. That still doesn't look right to me. That, that's not typography. This is just, it's just squiggles. <laughs> Uh, there's so much you need to learn about 70s album art. It was a language all its own. Can tell by the picture he drew. It was totally something new. <laughs> yeah, they were talking about their own album artist. Huh? Yeah. 
before he uh, before he could tell us what it was, he died. Oh, no. <laughs> well, I think that's all for our discussion of uh, Point of No Return by Kansas, but we will be back soon with talk about another album or TV show or movie or book or something from uh, the distant time of the 20th century. In the meantime, Ian, where can people find you? I can be found on Twitter as ItemCrafting and on various other sites like Instagram, Twitch, uh, YouTube. I'm ItemCrafting most places, actually. You're ItemCrafting on our Discord as well. Yes, I am. And uh, Come chat with us there. Yeah, to find our Discord and to find other things, you'll, you'll find all of that on our website, immproject.com. That'll include all of, all of our episodes as well as links to our Discord. And our Patreon, thank you very much to anybody supporting us on there. And where can they find you? You can find me at MatthewFPorter.com. You can also find me on Twitter at ByMatthewPorter. We, we'd, we'd love to hear from you. Tell us what you thought of the album. Tell us the things you think we'd, you'd like us to listen to or watch. We can, we'd love to just chat with you on any of these platforms and hear from you and hear what you think as well. And what did you talk about with your fellow altar boys or others when you were in sixth grade and really into cosmic philosophy as you understood it at the time? We'd love to hear that. Narrowing the pool there, Dad. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thanks again for listening. We really appreciate the fact that you're downloading uh, our podcast. And like I said, we'll be back soon with more tales of ancient media. And in the meantime, go find something new to listen to.